0: SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Sunbelt Nation, welcome into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. Matt Miguez here. Brian Stone joins me as always. Brian, man, you know, we talk about it all the time, but you get one week closer to football and the air just starts feeling a little bit better every single day.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it is like getting to be more of a reality and less of like, Oh, we'll see these guys in a month. And then maybe everything we've said in these previews up at this point will be null and void, you right. know? And, in, and, now, and it's going to be like, you know, in, in, three weeks we're gonna know if everything we've said is complete crap or if we were on the mark
0: <laughs> right right you know today we're, we're coming to you on august 3rd we're 32 day 31 days away from most programs opening kickoffs obviously you have the new thing the the week zero you know they'll they'll play on august 28th i believe is that saturday Usually I
1: mean, a game with involving Hawaii in some way.
0: Right, right. <laughs> two, two nobodies, but guys like you and I watch it because we miss college football that much.
1: Two, two nobody teams playing, kicking off at midnight Eastern on ESPN2, and it's the weirdest matchup no, you've not, ever not, seen. Not
0: even, not even ESPN2. You have to pay for ESPN Plus to watch this one.
1: Colorado State and Hawaii Tech right. are going to play... In prime time, uh, Hawaii time. Right, right. ESPN Plus.
0: Oh, man. And then, you know, week one will officially kick off on that Thursday, September the 2nd. So, you know, a lot of training camps, a lot of fall camps are going to start today. I mean, this week, um, I know in in my neck of the woods for Louisiana, players are going to report to camp, report to camp Thursday. And first practice is Friday. <laughs> um so you know, we're you're kinda you're kinda getting to that point where, you know, next week when we record, we're gonna have an idea of kind of what teams are slowly starting to look like and come together. We'll talk about Georgia Southern today, which I know you're just thrilled about. But before before we do that, you know, Brett McMurphy is is a guy in, in college athletics that is well known and you know, he's one of those guys that his word he's kinda like Adrian Wojanowski in the NBA. His word kind of turns out to be true. This is a tweet that he posted at five oh seven today. He said if you're keeping track with realignment, so far we have the following reports. Kansas to the Big Ten is imminent. West Virginia we talked about that. Right. West yeah. Virginia in official talks with the ACC. We talked about that, that. We talked about that. FSU and Clemson officials contacted the SEC about joining the league. I still don't know if that's true.
1: Okay, can I can I talk about that really quick? Yeah. So from what I heard, uh, that report was initially started by a radio host in Greenville, South Carolina, that had five thousand Twitter followers, and it snowballed so much that the FSU president had to come out and say we've had no talks with the southeastern conference so
0: yeah clemson i, mean, I think i, I think know. an official from clemson that said the same thing um yeah. so yeah i mean again i don't know how true that is the aac will raid the big 12 i buy that
1: i, I, I buy mean, that we talked about we talked about the possibility of that and why it makes sense from a geography standpoint last week so but
0: i skipped over the best one for last and this is mind-blowing Louisiana tech and Louisiana to the big 12. Like that's going to happen. Like it's set there. There's conversation. Okay. Uh,
1: well, here, here's my question then to you as a Louisiana fan. Hey, do we kick you off the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, because is, this isn't a Big 12 podcast, and you You're right. go, you well, got to go talk with the big well, boys now.
0: Well, you know, let, let's be totally honest. If Louisiana goes to the Big 12, am I even eligible to write for Underdog Dynasty anymore?
1: Uh, you'd have to talk to, like, someone, <laughs> hey, someone hey, above er, my favorite Hey, er, Eric
0: like. Henry, let's talk, bro. Like,
1: so, so but, but that raises the question, then. If Texas and Oklahoma are gone officially, they're out. AAC raids the Big Twelve. What are you guys walking into? Is that well? Is there, is there even a conference for you guys to play, to play in, in? Or is it Just is it just you two playing well, every week? Well,
0: you know there was there was an, there was an article that came out today talking about a potential Pac twelve Big Twelve merger.
1: Okay, I saw that. I had a question. What does the Big 12 gain from this? Or not the Big 12, the Pac-12. What does the Pac-12 gain from that? It seems like they're doing the Big 12 a solid. They are. It doesn't seem like the Big 12 is contributing. Returning the
0: favor, right.
1: Yeah, because if the AAC is rating those teams that we talked
0: about. Who's left in the like, Big 10? Who's left in the Big 12, yeah, like right. What,
1: so the Pac-12 Gains. Just, eats, just eats the conference and then... And then what happens? <laughs> right. Like, oh, okay. So does that mean you guys
0: end up in the pack 12 somehow? I mean, the, if that's the case, I mean, that that's what it would seem like.
1: I don't know, man. Like but that doesn't seem like a good idea. Like for you guys to step foot in that mess. Well, You know what I mean? Well,
0: on, on paper. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you um, with, with the way things are starting to shake up. No, that does not seem like a good idea.
1: How, no, because it seems like you guys are walking into an empty house expecting a party and however, there's no one else there. <laughs> however,
0: if the tables can can turn a little bit and, you know, maybe Louisiana Tech and Louisiana go to the Big 12 and a school like Oklahoma State, maybe Baylor, those schools decide, oh, you know, we've kind of replaced... Texas and Oklahoma with good competition, maybe you will stay. And you know, you convince you you can you convince an AAC team like I don't know, maybe Tulsa yeah. to come to the Big Twelve. Then then you're you right back where you where you wanted to be. I think I think without Texas
1: and Oklahoma, the Big Twelve. 12- those teams that you mentioned going to the AAC or staying in the Big 12 is like six on one, half a dozen on the other for me. Yeah, it's,
0: like, it's, it's the it's same it's thing. It's the
1: same thing. Because it's like, we talked about this last week, like what is Oklahoma State like as a football program? Like they have some nice years here and there, but then they also yeah, they're, like – They're decent. They're, they're in the toilet sometimes. So right. it's like, okay, they're okay. Baylor's fine. I mean, they've – They've obviously had some good teams, but then they lose head coaches for one reason or another. So it's like, you don't know what you're getting from them anymore. Yeah. I I mean, with all these old, with all these like smaller big 12 schools, it's like, I don't know, man. If I was y'all school, I'd wait for the whole thing to like shake before I made a decision.
0: Brian, Brian Stone, ladies and gentlemen, he knows how to take a Louisiana fans happiness.
1: Well, I'm just saying, like, it doesn't seem like it – it seems on the surface when you just say the words Louisiana to the Big 12, it seems like a big upgrade to you guys, but I almost wonder if they're just going to downgrade the the Big 12 at that point to, to a like, G5. a low – Yeah, to, like, a G6. Yeah. And now there's only a power four. Yeah. Because, like, the, the football powers the rest of that conference are, like – I mean whatever. They yeah. they don't have anything. Like I I mean your your Big 12 title game if you if you hope they stay is going to be like Iowa State, Oklahoma State like every year. I yeah. mean until until you guys or like someone else catches up. I mean and it's like they don't they really they would be really top heavy as a conference until like I said you guys catch up or someone else like right. gets their stuff together. I don't know it just seems the whole thing seems really weird I mean obviously Texas and Oklahoma leaving like takes a lot of wind out of that sail but like it, it's just the whole thing and is I mean, strange
0: and I mean as, as it stands right now that's all just speculation however from, from my perspective from a Louisiana perspective no matter what way you look at it I mean the, the Big 12 basically halfway down the drain right now mm-hmm. no, matter, no matter which way you slice it Louisiana being in the conversation with joining a P5 conference straight out of the Sun Belt is massive. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's massive. So I think I think like what I
1: said, though, is, uh, you know, oh, you yeah, you, you're,
0: to, you're, spot on.
1: you're you spot on. You guys have to have to avoid the trap of like we walk into the Big 12 and make it official and then all the Big 12 and, teams right for the American. You, and it, now it's. it's
0: it's like you show up to the party freshman year of college and you're like, oh, dude, there's going to be a rager. Yeah. And then you've got like six people there. Uh, no. Yeah,
1: you guys are playing Kansas State every other week. <laughs> every it's other like, week. It's like, it's like, well, here we are. Game three.
0: Manhattan, series. Kansas, best of five. Man-
1: yeah, Manhattan, Kansas or or Louisiana Tech versus Louisiana week four. Game number
0: four. Bro, if we had to play La Tech. Multiple times a year. I think the state of Louisiana would burn to the ground. <laughs> I think the state of Louisiana would burn to the ground. I mean, well, I mean, they're, their they're fans and, and we're getting off track here, but they're fans. Mind you, we haven't played Louisiana tech in seven years. Uh-huh. Our program has changed dramatically. Yeah. Seven years. Since then, we've gotten a new AD, we've gotten a new coaching staff, you know, everything, blah, blah, blah. Their fans to this day sit there and talk about how we haven't beaten them in football in 11 years or whatever.
1: Because you guys haven't played okay. them in seven okay. years? Okay.
0: We haven't played since 2015.
1: It's like when Texas A&M talks about Texas or right. when they used to, and they're like, well, we haven't lost to Texas in a while. It's like, because you guys haven't yeah, been in the when, same when's, conference. The, when's
0: the last time y'all played?
1: 2011, right? When you guys were still in the Big Twelve, or 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 <laughs> you know,
0: I, I love I love to say the same conversation with LSU. LSU oh, 22 and 0 against L, uh, against LSU or against Louisiana. Okay, but you haven't played us since 2009. Yeah, like granted, I still think LSU would win. However, mm-hmm. it would be a much more entertaining game now than it was in 2009. Oh, for sure. So. Mm-hmm. But let's get let's get back to the to the topic at hand, and that is of course your Georgia Southern Eagles, eight and five last year, uh, four and four in the conference. You finished tied for third in the East. You ended up going to the New Orleans Bowl because of all the all the conference shakeup last year, and you absolutely trashed. Louisiana tech in that bowl game, by the way, can
1: I, can I just do like, I, because I don't, I don't want to really highlight that game down the line. Like when we start going through the previous season schedule, but you'll, you'll appreciate me dancing on graves a little bit. Okay, um, Louisiana tech in that game was one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. Yeah, they were put out and and you can say whatever you want. Their quarterback was hurt. The guys that they ran out there at the quarterback position, were an embarrassment to the sport. Like that was how bad they were. They were so bad that I didn't feel like this overwhelming sense of excitement because we had beaten a team that was clearly so unprepared with without a real backup quarterback that I was kind of just like, I mean, it was one of those things where we did what we had to do. Right. You know what I mean? It was like, we were, we were clearly like pretty healthy as a team by that point, because we had had the long layoff and then we just beat a team's brains in that I was like, they didn't deserve to probably be on the same football field.
0: Yeah. You, you know, you, you, brought up, you brought up their quarterback injury situation. And like you said, I, I agree with you. I mean, the guys, they, they tried it out in that game. were just, they're not good. It was um, ugly. The, the, the way they played, it was one of those. It, it reminded me of an infant child who is so dependent on their mother that the second their mother leaves, they don't know what the hell to do.
1: Well, just for people listening uh, who didn't watch that bowl game, because if you look at the final score, there's, and you're not a Georgia Southern fan, there's zero chance to go watch a reason to go watch that game. Rather Aaron Allen, the guy that they ran out there to start, let me just read off his stat line for you really fast. 10 of 24 for 41 yards an average of 1.7 yards per completion. Oof. And 3 interceptions. Yeah, zero
0: touchdowns. Yeah, it wasn't good.
1: And then the other guy they ran out threw for 78 yards, but he threw a pick on the one drive that they had actually gained some momentum and were going down to score a touchdown. So, yeah. So uh, again, that is to say, I don't want to talk about this game super in-depth because it was very inconsequential overall to Georgia Southern's 2020 season. But that is to say, it was it had to be rough to watch that game from an outsider perspective because I believe it was one of the only cu- couple bowl games on it. It was that on, right. slot.
0: So, um, I'll tell you, I enjoyed it immensely. Woof. I enjoyed I it immensely. It. <laughs> um, and you know, again as as a football program i respect what louisiana tech has done mm-hmm. as a die hard louisiana fan who constantly gets res- disrespect from rustin so glad they lost no hard so- feelings nothing personal just facts <laughs>
1: So let's get it. Do you want to get into the yeah. 2020 Georgia Southern Eagles? All right. So just to give everybody some background, uh, I went on and on about this last year in the podcast, and I I promise I won't dote on it too much, just because we've kind of turned a page on it. Our offensive coordinator played so scared in our games last year that there were times where I thought he was coaching us to lose. And I don't say that like lightly. It was like. As soon as we scored two offensive touchdowns, he, he took his foot off the gas. And I was almost sitting there going, is he like betting the under for all these games and is just making sure they hit? Because as soon as we scored two touchdowns, it's three handoffs up the middle and a punt on every other drive. So I, don't, I didn't want to get too deep into the weeds about that topic, but like that kind of overshadowed, I'd say ninety five percent of our season.
0: Yeah, you know, you you and I talked about it last year a lot about Bob DeBest and and his struggles and what what was the number twenty nine straight opening drives that you guys? Went I think with the to- final.
1: I think the final tally we broke it eventually but i think the final tally was 21 straight games 21 without straight an opening games. without an opening drive touchdown dating back to 2018 when he took over i can't remember what game we broke it but it was yeah so going back to the 2018 season we went 21 straight games without an opening drive touchdown
0: that is that is abysmal and obviously he was he was relieved of his duties Doug Roos comes back in he was your he was the OC in fourteen and twenty fifteen. Um, last year he was y'all's tight end coach and interim OC. And in his previous stint in Statesboro, the offense put up thirty seven point seven points a game and led the FBS in rushing each year mm-hmm. he was the OC.
1: Yeah, so he was under Willie Fritz um, when Fritz was here for his you know pass through, I guess, through Statesboro. He he wasn't here very long, but he then went to Tulane with Fritz and and I think eventually they just kind of parted ways and Roos kind of found his way back over as a tight ends coach because he worked with Lunsford and they had like a relationship from you know their stint under Fritz. Right. Um yeah, so DeBess, like you talked about, was uh relieved of his duties after the Georgia State game. Um, And rightfully so. I mean, we were winning that game and then all of a sudden that was another case of took his foot off the gas. You might as well, he just threw in the towel. I mean, that was essentially what it was. And so from then on, I mean, the app state game that we lost was ugly, but our offense showed more life in the final three games of the season than I had seen up to that point. And, you know, in a what 13 game season, to only have three games where you feel offensively that you guys looked really good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: And so, you know, talking, bringing up the offense, obviously you, you lose Shy Wirtz, who was a staple in your offense. Every mm-hmm. every year he was in the program. Yeah. You know, now, now you turn the keys over to Justin Tomlin, a young sophomore, uh, sat under Wirtz for a couple years. Didn't look great in the time that he played last year however no <laughs> as 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 an optimist i would i would chart that up to you know never really being able to get in a rhythm but you know you I mean you, we can you, talk know, about that <laughs> you, you know you know more about this team than i do obviously so from your, right. from your perspective you know what are you, what are your thoughts from the quarterback position
1: well i'll, I'll say this so obviously losing words uh he transferred to louisville uh, as a grad transfer uh, and his teammate Kendrick Duncan, who also who played safety for us also transferred up to Louisville. So those are two big losses on both sides of the ball. We now have to fill. obviously the quarterback position. Tomlin is kind of a wait and see. Um, he's never intentionally been the starter. Like he's only ever been the starter if Wirtz was hurt or suspended in his time here. And so I I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because last year you had to chalk it up to what we were talking about with the best, but then also, I mean, we were in winnable games that Tomlin played in, you know, the, the game that comes to mind is like army, for example, we were in a very winnable game against them and just flat blew it. And then Georgia state was the same way. And both of those games, Tomlin, Tomlin either started or played a big chunk of both of those games and neither one of them inspired a ton of confidence going into this year. So we get, you know, on paper, a transfer in James Graham over from the Paul Johnson era of Georgia Tech, who had kind of just been floating around in that program and not really doing a whole lot and was supposed to play quarterback in the triple option. You know, we thought that coming into camp this year, he was going to compete with Tomlin for that job, but late in June, there was a report that Graham had been switched to wide receiver and is playing more of that slot back role that like Wesley Kennedy played last year. So it seems like it's Tomlin's job to lose at this point. Although we have a couple of, uh, freshman quarterbacks that have come in. Um, and you know, they were fairly decently touted. So, I mean, I guess that they have just as equally good of a, shot to win that job. I mean, as far as I know, I mean, Tom, it's not like Tomlin has shown you anything in games that he's just run away with it and you can't but help but name him the quarterback.
0: Right. I mean, you know, one one thing that's interesting is that you brought up the, the freshman that could really come in and make an impact. It's a similar situation to Grayson McCall. Mm-hmm. I mean, a kid that was touted out of high school comes into the program. The coaches really like what they see out of him. You know, maybe... Maybe Chad Lunsford takes a page out of Jamie Chadwell's playbook and gives a freshman a shot. But I do do, do agree with you that it is Justin Tomlin's job to lose.
1: Well, I'll say this. um, This season feels like the first rebuilding season that Lunsford had to go through because his entire tenure, he's been able to kind of hang his hat on words. And even when he took over for summers and took over a losing program from summers, he still had the pieces in place. They just needed to get back to their offensive identity. And you saw when they went from 2017 to 2018, you know, going from winning two games to 10, the next season, all they needed was, the right people to run the right off type of offense, which they weren't trying before. So I, I mean, you and I talked about this before we started recording. I really do feel like if this season starts kind of spiraling the drain for Georgia Southern, and they're not really in contention for a whole lot, except a low tier bowl game and a six win season, I think you have to throw one of the, you know Cam Ransom or uh Sam Kenderson out there and just see what they have because i, I mean on, on paper nobody expects this team to compete for the east you know they they're competing with Coastal and App like those two teams have veteran teams and we have a couple of nice veterans but like the the time to strike was last year and they just didn't i mean that's kind of been the case since 2018 they just haven't fired
0: yeah uh, like like you said, this isn't really a, a team that has high expectations. Uh, and I know around the conference, they're definitely not expected to do to do that well. And clearly, from your perspective, the expectations aren't very high in Statesboro either. You know, one one thing I want to talk about is the running back position. Obviously, in an option offense that you guys run, a, a solid running back is you know paramount. And you get a you get a senior in JD King, uh, six hundred yards last year, nine touchdown, five touchdowns, averaged a little over five yards to carry. Obviously, Wesley Kennedy was your workhorse last year, but you know you get a guy that has experience back and a guy like JD King. What good does that do? And you also have Logan White coming Logan Wright coming back, having two guys in in your locker room that. Ran this option offense last year have experience have done it before How important is that not only for the team as a whole but for your young quarterback?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's huge Uh, I I think especially with both of those guys when you look at like their size, I mean they're they're pretty Big guys overall as far as running backs go. So I, I mean the number one thing I think it means is that it should open up the inside you know, run. Um, both of those guys kind of fill the same role to an extent. Now they're going to rotate a lot, obviously as the the kind of a back in the this uh, option offense. But you know, Logan Wright, like you said, JD King, both of them bring back a lot of uh, senior leadership and they're obviously going to be one of the main cogs of the team with, you know, like you said, Tomlin taking over for the first time. I do want to kind of spotlight some of these other running backs that have played in spurts, but haven't gotten a real chance because they've been, Kind of behind, you know, Kennedy in that like slot back, you know, be back, I guess, role. Um, Gerald Green had some nice games, especially when we were coming to the end of the season. And Kennedy had been indefinitely suspended by that point. And then Jalen White uh, also had done some nice things. And then we get this transfer, Amari Jones, who I believe is coming over from Tulane. Tulane um i mean he's he's another guy that's that's a little lighter but we need speed on the edge to make up for the loss of um wesley kennedy and i i think you add those guys to whatever james graham's role is going to be and i hope that he has that same role because wide receivers in this offense that are true wide receivers don't contribute a whole lot so i hope that all of those guys pitch in and you know end yeah. up being that outside pitch fan that you need
0: in this offense. You know, you brought up Amari Jones. I think he's going to be that guy for y'all. Uh, you know, he's a very versatile playmaker. Definitely has that edge speed that the Wesley Kennedy had. So uh, I, I think I think if your Chad Chad Lunsford Jones just plugs that hole that that Wesley Kennedy you know voided for you. You know, you brought up wide receivers. Oh, no, go ahead. You want to say something?
1: Oh, can I just say one thing that that is uh, another thing that gives me pause about Tomlin at the quarterback position that I just thought of? It's decision-making. To say it has been questionable at times would be putting it mildly. So a big part of this offense is getting that outside speed option pitch play, and he has shown in the past that sometimes he makes the wrong read and will just pitch it. Even though someone's about to get blown up, or there's no one there, <laughs> um, right. so that is going to have to be something that gets ironed out. Or, like I said, I mean, one of those freshman quarterbacks is going to be coming in looking for his jobs.
0: Yeah, you know, decision making comes with comes with experience. Um, that that that's something that just gets better and better the more you play, and the more game time you have. So, I think that'll improve. However, some guys just don't have. The mental aspect of being a quarterback. Exhibit A: Jordan Jefferson from LSU back in the day. Mm -hmm. Freakiest, one of the freakiest athletes I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Dude just didn't have the IQ. Yeah, what that translate to? He did not have success in the NFL. Plain and simple. So you know, again, not I think if you give him time. He could, he could gain that IQ, gain that mental ability with more game experience. However, some guys, it just, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, you brought up wide receivers, which is one group I really want to talk about because y'all had a receiver last year that in the game against Louisiana that y'all very well should have won. He burned the you-know-what out of us. And it was all over SportsCenter that night. And I'm sitting there going, well, you know, I'm happy we won. However, I'm not happy with the way we played. And ESPN keeps showing this highlight of this kid torching us. And, of course, I'm talking about Caleb Hood, who made the ridiculous one-handed falling-to-the-ground catch in the end zone yes. uh, to, 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 to take the lead late in the fourth quarter. You know, you talk about Caleb Hood. You talk about Najee Thompson. Um you get a transfer, a JUCO transfer in JJ McAfee, who's supposed to have tremendous speed. I know the receivers aren't really I don't want to say they're that they're not that important, but they're not used very often in a in an option no. offense. What, no. does, what what does what does this receiver group provide for an option offense?
1: Well, I mean, I hope what they do is – my ultimate goal the last couple years with Southern, and this is something they haven't been able to do, is just make other teams respect your ability to pass. You don't need to throw for 300 yards in a game. That's not what I'm asking for. But attempt to stretch the field sometimes, or at least throw some intermediate passes just so teams can't stack everybody on the line of scrimmage and just wait for you to run the ball. And I don't know if, I don't know if Tomlin's the guy to do that, because like I said, you know, even throwing the ball, some of his decision-making has been questionable at times. And, you know, you could say what you wanted about shy Wirtz And he had some struggles in the intermediate routes with throwing, you know, his accuracy, but he could throw a nice deep ball. And I mean, you guys saw that with Caleb hood. I mean, he, he could throw, he could put it on the money when he needed to, or at least give his guy, a shot to go up and get it and again i don't know that tomlin's the guy that's going to unlock that that offense because what they truly need is someone like a levi lewis who has the athleticism to run the option but can also put the ball in the air if they absolutely need to
0: well y'all can't and have them
1: no i i get that but <laughs> it, it, it's uh it's just one of those things where it's like if this team could even get a guy who could just make other teams respect his ability to throw the ball, this is a dangerous offense, but we just haven't had that. I mean, we haven't had it as far as I can remember. Even our best years when we had like Kevin Ellison, the year we won the Sunbelt with Willie Fritz. I mean, he he was kind of the same deal as words. He could throw the ball down the field, but he couldn't hit a guy on a, on an in route for 10 yards consistently. So it's like, you know, if you could just get a guy that could throw just enough and had athleticism, I think that this offense would go to another level. But we'll, we'll have to see what Tomlin has with his arm. And that, yep. that reflects back on the receivers.
0: Yeah, no, no question about it. One topic I want to spend a, a decent amount of time on is, is your guys' defense. Because, <clears> you know, <throat> in doing research for this episode, the defense that you guys have coming back from last year has the potential to be the best defense in the conference. You know, I, I don't I'm i looking at, at some of the, the key guys that you guys have returning. I mean, Justin Ellis w- was huge for y'all last year on the end, had three and a half sacks on the year. You get Derek Canteen back in your secondary who had six picks last year.
1: So can I talk about Canteen just a little yeah. bit? Um, so last year, uh, Early on, he was one of those guys that was taking over from, um, you know, Moncavie Brinson and Kendall Vildor and those right. types of guys big, big who. Shoes who had, to fill. Yeah, and the first couple games, he—I don't know whether it was him or the defensive scheme—he did not look good. Like I, I don't know, but as the year went on and he was a freshman too. So, I mean, obviously there's some growing pains there, but as time kind of went along, he became, you know, more of that kind of lockdown defensive back that this defense has to have in order to compete in the sunbelt, because we, we talked about it. I think in the first preview we did, if you can't stop the, the pass in the sunbelt, like you might, you might as well just throw in the towel, right? Because nearly every team can throw the ball except us. So it's like, I mean, it's true. I mean, even Georgia Southern fans would admit, like, that's not our thing. We don't work yeah, no, that's it's not our not. bread that's
0: and not, butter. That's not what you do. So,
1: I mean, ironically, the team that the offense they practice against doesn't ever throw the ball, but that's what they need to be best at. So right. it's it's like this weird dichotomy yeah. where it's what, what, what he's the got the to do lock do? down guys on the back end, but he doesn't see any of those in practice. Right. So, But yeah, I, I think the problem. With the potential, like you said, for us to be the, the, the best off or best defense rather in the conference, is we're just replacing so many like big shoes uh, as far as, you know, in the front seven. So I'm looking at it now, you know, Raymond Johnson, the uh, third, was a big defensive tackle for us that's gone. Uh, two linebackers, Rashad Bird and Reynard Ellis, uh, aren't coming back. And I think the other thing is we forced a very high rate of turnovers last year on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we forced 26 turnovers
0: in 13 games. So yeah, I mean, two takeaways a game. How can you complain with that?
1: Yeah, and and especially when you play when, like in a ball control, you know, eat the eat the clock offense. Right. I mean, that that only feeds into it. But I, I'd like to see what this defense becomes this year. But I wouldn't be surprised if they're just not quite as good as they were last year. I mean, they only allowed 20.8 points per game last year. So, I mean, it might be hard to maintain that pace.
0: Yeah. And you know, a, a couple more guys I wanted to touch on, especially in that secondary, you know, I brought up Derek Cantine, but you look at Anthony Wilson in, in the, in the strong safety position. He was your second leading tackler last year, 67 tackles from the secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Birdsong was another guy that stepped up for y'all last year with three interceptions. You know, you, yep. you you talk about, and we've brought this up numerous times. The key to a good defense in the Sun Belt is being able to stop the pass.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, from from what I'm from what I'm seeing from the secondary perspective, you you guys seem like you can defend the pass fairly well.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'll say this. So. I... There, there are obviously four guys that it all hinges on those two safeties. You mentioned Derek Canteen and, um, the other one who I'm looking at here, Daryl Baker, Jr. Yeah. Uh, our other corner opposite Canteen. I, I think th- the biggest part is, um, bird going to have to replace Kendrick Duncan, who I mentioned earlier transferred to Louisville as a grad transfer with Wirtz. Um, I mean, he's a bit. He was the captain of the secondary, so someone's going to have to come in and fill those shoes. Now, maybe it's Baker, uh, who's a senior. You know, maybe it's um, let's see, Birdsong's also a senior, so it's going to have to be one of those guys that kind of captains the back end of the defense. So. I mean, it all. I think it all hinges on them, and then you can work with a lockdown secondary. You know what I mean? Like the the front seven can figure it out, yeah. but but you have to be able to stop the pass.
0: Yeah, and and you know, like like we said, you know, that that's a big key to being successful in the Sun Belt. You guys only gave up 214 passing yards a game last year, which is pretty impressive in, in a in a pass heavy league. That's yeah.
1: I mean, the game that impressed me most that we played with our secondary was definitely the Troy game. Um, They didn't seem like they knew what they were going to do. I I mean, coming into it, it was they they looked. I believe it was the first time in three years that we had beaten Troy, I believe, if I got that right. Um, But they just looked discombobulated. Trying to throw the ball, and that's not what usually what you see out of Troy.
0: No, you you usually see a dominant air raid passing attack. Yeah, but you know, one one thing one thing that I want to talk about, and I'm I'm glad you brought up you know opponents. I, I'm looking at some some attendance numbers for you guys, and the what I want to talk about Paulson Stadium for a little bit. You mm-hmm. know, it, it's one of it, in, in, especially in the G5 ranks, it's viewed as a, one of the tougher places to play in the entire country. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this season, you've got Gardner-Webb, Louisiana, Arkansas State, Georgia State, Coastal, and BYU coming down to Statesboro. In those in those six home games, what does the atmosphere impulse in stadium, you know, hypothetically, let's say COVID's not a thing. Yeah. You've got a rocking 25,000, 30,000... People, Impulse and stadium for those six home games. What kind of atmosphere does that provide you guys and how does that help you, you know, in, in a, in a game?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in my time when I went to George Southern and attended games regularly, I mean, it was the fans are, I mean, especially on the the away bench side are rabid, like they are into it. And so it's like, You know, we had a lot of teams during that time, uh, you know, even somewhat recently try to come in and, and, you know, try to silence the crowd and it just doesn't happen. I mean, unless you really, you know, put the boots to Georgia Southern and really beat us down. It's like, they're just rocking for like 60 full minutes, man. It's, it's tough to like get them to calm down as an opposing team. So from my perspective, it's fantastic. I'm sure other teams that come in disagree and have a different opinion on on our fans and the, the atmosphere. They, you know, if you're uh, Troy or Louisiana or whoever, and you come in and you you wouldn't go, "Wow, that guy over there uh, is is screaming his head off at me." What a great atmosphere! You're going. I wish these people would shut up for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so,
0: why why, why are mean, they bringing my mama into this?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, BYU is going to be, I, I mean, they, they're used to stadiums that are rocking, but I think they're going to be a little shell shocked coming from Provo to Statesboro. Yeah. It's a, it's a different, it's a different world there.
0: Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's a different world. Um, You know, I think I think the last thing that I wanna talk about this program with you is obviously Chad Lunsford, you know, coming into his fourth season, fifth season as a as a head coach. He's had like like we've talked about, he's had decent years. Um, but you you brought it up earlier, this is gonna be his first year where it's a true rebuild because he's had Shy Wirtz in his back pocket his first four years. In, in your opinion from from the georgia southern perspective what what does he have to do this year to to truly find success
1: so i mean the, we talked about it the expectations for this season with the personnel that we have coming in are not through the roof. No one's expecting them to contend for a sunbelt title or even in the East, you know, the last couple of years, I think the thing that has really taken the wind out of my sails since 2018, when we won 10 games is just this team has not, even with all the nice like veteran leadership we had had the last couple of years has not contended for an East title past the first or second week of October, maybe. And so This year, I'm kind of looking at it as as long as you seem like you have the program heading back in the right direction and you seem like 2022 might be a year where you could surprise somebody and make a run or something, I think you'll be okay. I think the one thing that this school and the program is not going to tolerate under any circumstances is one of those Tyson Summers two and three win seasons. Like, I just don't think that there's any way – that he can play off uh, like a season in which they're just not competitive.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where you're going to have to depend on or or rely on, should I say, educating your younger guys for the future. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to look at those guys and say, hey, you know, we might not be all that successful this year. But, you know, bear with me, learn the ropes here. And, you know, next year, maybe even the year after that, we can really, you know, turn on the Jets and contend for a conference title.
1: And I, I, one thing I just wanted to add, if there are any Georgia Southern fans listening to this podcast who think that I'm being too down on the, the team's outlook this year, I've looked at a bunch of different websites' as projections of how the Sunbelt East is going to shake out it typically has us in contention with Troy for the worst team in the East because it has coastal app and Georgia state all ahead of us. And all of those teams at least have quarterbacks that have starting experience. You can say whatever you want about chase Bryce, but he has started games at the quarterback position. You can't say the same about Tomlin over the course of a full season. So I mean, I, I think it's, I think it seems right. I think it's kind of a rebuilding year, but if there is, re, if there is hope, you know, after this year, you, like you've seen some nice things that this team has maybe competed in a game or two that they had no business being in. Like I could see people being sold on another year of let's give lunch for another year. He's got a young roster. Let's build it up. But like I said, they the one thing that they can't deal with is just being non-competitive.
0: Yeah, it it'll be an interesting year in statesboro for sure. Um you know, one one last question about the Eagles record prediction if you had, if you had to give one.
1: Um I think 6 and 6 as of this standing. I mean, you and I had kind of talked about the the schedule coming in and I mean, I'm looking at it now it's like you know the first two games. Uh, I think they'll beat Gardner Webb, uh, Florida Atlantic. I don't know a ton about, but I do think that if last year's uh, game against Florida Atlantic was any indication, that that'll be a win for us too. Now week three, you go to Arkansas. I don't, I don't see them winning that game. Uh, they face Louisiana at home week four. I don't see them winning that game. Arkansas and State and Troy, you could make an argument that they win one or both of those games or neither of those games, to be totally honest with you. I, I don't know. Week to week, like, there's so much inconsistency there. So then they play South Alabama on the road uh, in a night game. I think they win that one. Georgia State, I think, is a better team than, than we are at this stage, so I would give that to Georgia State. Same thing with Coastal. I think we beat Texas State, probably lose to BYU and App. So five and seven, six and six, I think is what we're looking at.
0: Yeah, definitely going to be a difficult year in Statesboro. But uh, you know, Brian, next week we'll we'll start doing two a two a week, two weeks, I guess you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, next week we'll we'll begin that process with Georgia State and Arkansas State. But you know, man, be- before we go, tell everybody where they can find you on social media.
1: Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at WatchTheStone. Um, season previews uh, or se- game previews coming up
0: very soon. Yeah, no question about it. You can find me on social media at Miga's, Matt, Capital M's, and like like Brian said, season preview and game previews coming in the in the not so distant future, guys. We appreciate you listening as always, and this has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty up Podcast.